I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. We are now on episode 3 of Corey's Pipeline Rankings, counting down from 32. That means we're tackling teams 16 through 9 today, and that starts, Corey, with the Nashville Predators. Barry Trott steps in as general manager, and he steps into a, a farm system that I think has improved. I mean, he, they made some picks in this recent draft. Uh... That's always going to help you you restock the system here, especially when you get a player uh, at the very top in, in Matthew Wood, who you've got as a potential top six forward and a goaltender in Yaroslav Askarov, who may be a, a legit starting goaltender in the NHL, a, a upper tier starting goaltender in the NHL. Yeah, I remember seeing the rumors about Askarov being on the block when we went into the draft uh, this past summer. Uh, but I, like when I watched Askarov in the American League, uh, last season, I thought he looked excellent and, and impactful, which is not something you always use with a young goalie. Uh, but yeah, I thought he would make a difference in a lot of the games I saw in the American League. His athleticism is elite. Um, you know, he, he's he's a smart goalie. He's aggressive and, and tracks the play very well. And I think this is a guy who, like you said, he has a chance to be a legit number one goalie 
in the NHL and he's in the conversation uh, for the best goalie not currently in the NHL. Uh, I think with Nashville, so you like him, you like Wood. Those are two guys who are, who are not in the league yet. But I think with Nashville was reassuring was the production they got in the NHL from some young players this season. And part of it was just them, you know, taking some steps back and giving their young guys a look. But I think, you know, Tomasino, after not making the team in the opening parts of the season, comes up in the second half and produces again. And you have Luke Evangelista, after a great first year as a pro, comes up and looks really good in the NHL. And what I think was really reassuring was the play of seventh round pick Yuso Parsonen, who ends up playing a significant portion of the year in the NHL and looking quite good as a big forward who uh, displayed high-end skill at times during the season. Uh, I like his compete too, even though his skating isn't isn't the best. Uh, so it's a combination of guys who are here now, who will be there in the future. But that being said, I think there's still a lot more work here to do. I think you look at this organization, you're still wondering where are the premium centers, where are the premium young defensemen going to come from. Uh, and But I'm going to guess they, they will not be very good this coming season, and this will be a couple more years of trying to accumulate assets. Parsonen's an interesting one because I think this is really what, what all teams are hoping for when they take a shot in, in the seventh round, that you're you're going to get this 6'3 guy who, yeah, he's got this skating question, but you know if he, he pops a little bit, all of a sudden you have a player who, who could factor into your top nine. And, and last season... It really does look like he he had. I mean, he has that power to his game. He has that skill to his game at his size. That is a an intriguing combination in the top nine. Yeah, and like I said I think he you really like what you're getting in a guy like that. Even Evangelista as a mid second round pick, if he can play, it's very reassuring. And then if what I kind of think is probably going to happen is you're going to get some high first over the next couple of years. Now you're starting to form a group that could win. Yeah, the interesting thing I, I think for for the Predators is going to be where they find kind of the. The, they've had, you know, the, these top uh, defensemen, Roman Yossi, Matias Ekholm over the years. Uh, they've even had some centers that they had to go trade for. The cream of this prospect core, though, Corey, is on you know, on the wings, whether it's with Wood. Parson, we'll see if he's a center or a wing long term. Joachim Kemmel, Evangelista, as you mentioned, Reed Schaefer, a high pick. Uh, they're, they're still kind of needing these most in-demand pieces. Right, and and they need to pick in the top five, frankly, to get those pieces, which is not something that's been a common outcome for Nashville in in recent memory. Yep. All right, on to the next one. We got the New York Rangers, and and they are still uh, headlined by a couple of top two picks. Speaking of, of top five picks, Alexi Lafreniere and Capocacco. Corey, you you've got both of them still projected as top of the lineup players, uh, which should give a little bit of, of reassurance. Uh, to, to Rangers fans out there who maybe maybe it hasn't come as quickly as they want, but you still see that that path ahead of both of those guys. Yeah, and obviously these are two players we've talked about a lot on this podcast and two players who it's been very difficult to assess where they are just because of how the Rangers are built, where they have though, you know, that in great that great power play, some really high end forwards that play at the top of their lineup and 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 thus, you know, for Kako and Lafreniere, they haven't always gotten the chance to to get those premium opportunities. And the devil's advocate argument would be, well, if they were so good, they would have forced their way into getting those opportunities. And I think some, you know, when you would watch their, their play at times in the last few years, they sometimes have been good, sometimes not as good. I think Kako this past season, it was more reassuring. You, you saw some consistency with the power and the skill game. I don't know if the offense is ever going to be elite, elite, but I think this is guy. This is a guy who's going to be a very good player for a long time. 
Lafreniere is the tough one. You remember the healthy scratch in the middle of the season, for example, but you also see the high-end flashes of skill and offensive creativity that he has too. Both players aren't great skaters. That's probably contributed in part to their, their long adjustment into the NHL. But I think you know, I understand why it's easy to kind of harp on Lafreniere a little bit. You compare him to, say, two other wingers in the same draft who people, I think, universally think very positively about and Lucas Raymond and Jack Quinn. His production this past season isn't far off those yep. two. So I think you want to kind of keep in context how young he is while and still I still think he has a very bright future. He could be a very important player of an NHL team. But I think it's reasonable, given how the beginning of his career has gone, to maybe say, hey, this guy may not be the impact piece you thought you were getting when you picked him 1-1. But not all 1-1s are that player. But And if he could still be a legit 50-60 point winger, I still think that's a really important part of an NHL lineup. Their first round pick this year is Gabe Perot, who is incredibly skilled and, and smart offensive player, another winger. If I'm a Rangers fan, though, as much as I think that that has a chance to be a real steal in the first round, my fear is that when you look at what has slowed kind of Lafreniere and Kako's development, in theory, this is a little bit of speculation analysis, uh, opportunity on the wing for the Rangers has been hard to come by. Premier power play time for the Rangers has been hard to come by. Gabe Perot is a guy who I think needs to be in those roles, those kind of premier offensive roles to really play his game. Should Rangers fans be concerned by that? Or is the timeline going to work out better for him where some of these guys age out right in time for him? Yeah, he's going to take a few years because, you know, his body isn't very physically developed and because of the skating. You know, I think he's going to be at least, you know, he's going to do two years in college at least, maybe even some time in the American League. It's going to take some time for him. Uh, yeah, and but we'll see. I think it's a great argument. It's one that I instantly thought of the second they picked him, and I think I kind of speculated on the podcast afterwards that they must have had this guy rated dramatically higher than where they picked him. And the kind of things I've heard after the draft is that was accurate that they just had him so high on their list that they were even if they would have preferred a different kind of player type, you know, I think they would prefer to get bigger. For example, they just love this player so much that you just had to go and pick him. Uh, but they do have some bigger guys in the organizations. I think Will Cooley looked really promising in the American League last year. He's, he's a big physical winger uh, who has some secondary scoring. I think Brennan Othman can be a secondary scorer who provides physicality too. Uh, I'm going to butcher this this player's name for sure in terms of his official European pronunciation. But I think Yaroslav uh, Shmolash uh, has, has looked good both between the World Juniors and his time in, in college as a big wing who skates really well and has not the best offensive touch, but enough that I think he could be a bottom six four in the NHL. So there are those different traits, but yes, but when you used your first round pick on another guy who is a small, especially slow, high end skill winger, it's going to be interesting to see if his development goes differently than say Lafreniere's goes. All right. On to number 14 is, is Carolina. And Corey, this is a, an interesting team because I feel like every year we leave the draft and we are hearing about, you know, wow, Carolina, they traded down so much. They made so many picks. Look, look what they got. And in some, in a lot of ways, that shows up here. You have 24 players ranked as, as uh, prospects who at least have a chance for the Carolina Hurricanes. And at the very top is a guy who I think uh, is one of those kind of finds, right? But uh, maybe not the one that you would expect. It's Alexander Nikishin, the Russian defenseman who I know uh, is one of your favorite prospects in the world. Yeah, and I think what you mean is by what you wouldn't expect is that obviously Dakishin is a fantastic player. He's a big, mobile, 
defenseman who uh, led all KHL defensemen in scoring as a 21-year-old. And on top of all of that, he's very hard uh, to play against. He can run up, runs over his checks routinely, and he looks like a guy who has a chance to be an impactful two-way pro defenseman in the NHL. And I think if he would, and he has a couple of years, I think two years left on his KHL deal with Ska, but I honestly think if he was in the NHL starting next season, he would be a quality top four defenseman from day one. Um, what I think it's interesting is when you say why you don't expect him to be the top Hurricanes prospect is he hasn't really been the player type they've targeted with seemingly 95% of that plethora of picks. They've tended to target more high-end skill guys. And while the Keishin offense has developed over the years, it wasn't what he was primarily known for when they picked him in the third round. Right. And, and I think when, when you think of Carolina, you think of guys like Felix Ungersorum, a guy who they picked in the second round this year, who I, who I really like. And you, you come away and you say, wow, like, hey, there's real offense here. Um, but, you know, Nikishin does have that. And I think it's an extremely valuable profile for this big two-way defenseman who can skate and, and by the way, does have offense as well. And it gives, I think when Nikishin does eventually come, it gives them some flexibility. Okay, how are we approaching Brady Shea? How are we approaching uh, Brett Pesci? And the decisions that need to be made on that blue line when you feel you have another one of those guys coming in. Yeah. Uh, I think you could also talk about Scott Morrow in a little bit similar lines of that. He's another big mobile defenseman who's on the way. Maybe uh, doesn't have quite the ceiling that, that a Nikishin might, but yeah. a player that a lot yeah, of people it, are excited it, about. Yeah, he has the, the size skating uh, skill that Nikishin does, but he has nowhere near as good a defender and nowhere near as competitive. I think that's kind of the issue with Morrow is we're not really sure if he'll be able to make stops in the NHL, whether he'll be consistent enough in, in the physical parts of the game, uh, but the offense is legit. And I think, you know, he's a very good player and has a chance to be on an NHL power play. Where are you at on Seth Jarvis thesis? I know you've got him ranked as a top of the lineup player, which is obviously a, a great tier to be in. Um, but as Carolina especially kind of continues to progress here, they're paying Sebastian Ajo a lot more. Money's going to get a little tighter to come by. you see this as a guy who can drive for them in, in the next year or two? Yeah, I think so. I think his, his overall season maybe didn't have the offense you hoped for over the course of the year, although I thought he looked outstanding in the playoffs for them. Uh, which was very, which is reassuring, and he's such a young player that I think we know with how good a skater he is, with how competitive he is. Like I don't know, if, I think he's really skilled and intelligent. I don't know if it's ever going to be elite, elite offense. I'm not sure this is going to be like a 70, 80 point producer by any means. But I think he can be a really important two way player who does drive play and strength, even though he's not the biggest guy and contributes quite a bit of offense. Yep. After that, core, I mean, we you get Bradley Nadeau, the, the 2023 first-round pick. But beyond that, uh, a lot of kind of in that that tier that are prospects but aren't as shiny. So for a team to be this high, they are really riding th those top few prospects. Um, we talked about 24. 20 of these are in, are either in the projected-to-play NHL games tier and the has-a-chance tier. Yeah, and I think that is, you know, it goes to the difficulty of drafting in that if you aren't getting those high picks – it's really tough to get guys who are going to have NHL careers. And is, the math is you know, not in your favor, but you're really hoping that when you make those, whatever, those 20 picks, that you get one of them that becomes a legit player. 
Never mind if he becomes as good a prospect as I think Nikishin is and, and could be in the NHL. But even if, even if he's a notch or two below that, it changes the scope of your organization a lot. But it's like I said, you can have all you can draft all the, the the prospects you want in the second, third, fourth round. It's very difficult to find because usually after that first round, there's one, two, maybe three players left somewhere in the rest of the draft that are going to become important NHL players, and it's very hard to find that one or two player. And usually it takes luck more than anything else. As yes. much as, oh, oh yeah. completely. Yeah. I mean, I think Carolina would even admit that Nikishin pick was luck. I mean, this is a guy who had medical issues in his draft year, didn't show that kind of offense, and then overcomes kind of both of those issues to become the player he is right now in the KHL. That's in part, you know, it was that's a largely in part luck. Yeah. It is just, it is what it is. They identified the traits and it worked out well. Uh, all right, on to team number 13. That is the San Jose Sharks. And, and of course, you're going to get a lot better uh, year over year when you add a top five pick, especially one as good as Will Smith. And especially when you can follow it up with a second first round pick and Quentin Musty, uh, who has a lot of skill and upside himself, Corey. Yeah, I think it's those two players really helped the system, especially Smith. But I, I do like Shakir McCombadoulin a lot, the player they got in the team of Meyer trade. I think Philip Bistet, uh, who they picked in the first round a year ago, had an outstanding season in Sweden between his play in the SHL and with international play, uh, at, particularly at the World Juniors. I think this is, a, you know, he's a big center who skates well. He's showing good offense this year. Same thing with Makama Doolin. He, he, those are two players that have all the traits you want in both top six forwards and top four defensemen. So I think you look at those guys to go with Smith, to go with Musty, to go with the former top 10 pick in William Eklund. And, and the Sharks, I still think, have more work to do here. This is not a core yet that can win, but I think you're starting to see the core come together that can win. I think especially up front, you really like this group. I think this is a core that can grow together, particularly if some of those guys like, say, Thomas Hurdle stay and and maybe become, maybe not, even if it becomes less productive over the years, he can help be a supplemental piece of this core. But I think with San Jose, what they really need now going forward is some help on the blue line. McCombo Doolin is a really good player, but they need more than him. They need like a one or two premium young talents on the blue line. And then I think you can see this organization start to turn the corner. And it could be a good year for that in the draft with, with some defensemen who, at least based on the on the early looks, uh, could, could project pretty high in this class. I want to talk to you about William Eklund, who's a guy who obviously had a, a huge uh, amount of hype in his draft year. Obviously, uh, cooled, I guess, a little in year one out. But he has a really strong season in the AHL, and, and you've still got him projected kind of right in that top six area for a winger. Yeah, whenever I whenever I watched the Barracuda, he stood out. His skating is high end. He competes well. He's really creative, and he makes a lot of plays with pace. Um, you know, he's a smaller winger, and I think there's always going to be questions on on that player type. That when you're a small wing, you have to be outstanding in several areas to be a top six forward. But I think he is. And I think he has a really good chance to be that kind of player. I don't know if he's going to be like this star. I know you're, you're referencing maybe the hype coming into the draft where people thought he could be the second or third or best player in the draft. Uh, I'm not sure I would say that right now, but I think he can be a very good NHL player. Uh, let's take a pause right there, Corey. Uh, get a quick advertisement in. We'll be right back to talk about the top half. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Corey, we are back breaking down uh, your pipeline rankings list. We're going to pick it back up at number 12 with the Arizona Coyotes. Obviously, they just signed some of the bigger news of of, uh, the summer so far, Logan Cooley. So after it one time looked like he was going to go back to college, now looks like Cooley is going to be in the NHL, which obviously hugely exciting for those out in Arizona. But just as exciting as as what they did in this last draft class. They take both of the locomotive kids, Daniil Boot and Dmitry Simashev, two of the more exciting, interesting players in this draft class. And all of a sudden, you can really start to see the pieces putting into place in, in Arizona for the long term. Yeah, I still think there's a couple more years left to build here before they do have that foundation of a winner, but you can start to see the pieces coming together. You know, they, they rank in the 12, they were 11 last year. Part of that is that Barrett Hayden graduates who didn't have a really good first half, but was really good in the second half of the season. Uh, JJ Moser graduates who's been playing big minutes for them so those two guys come out and then you have the parts in the draft come in so at the end of the day their ranking doesn't really move that much but i do like what they are building in arizona between cooley between the locomotive kids between genther and hayton uh you know i think you'd like i really like the four group especially because i think even though he didn't have a big year i still like connor geeky and i think in an organization that has hayton that has logan cooley i think geeky can slot in on a third line and, and have success in that role if he isn't the guy you're leaning on to be you know your your big time player uh, i think dylan genther is going to be a, a very nice top six four for them over the long term and uh you know and, I, and michael rubal was my top ranked goalie going to last year's draft he, goalies take a long time so he's probably four five six years away but i do like that player quite a lot Probably the t- one of the toughest players for me to evaluate in the entire pipeline rankings uh, series was Matias Michelli. Yeah, I really struggled with where to slot this player because uh, you know, he has had he has looked good since his draft several years ago. He has developed well in his play against men first in Finland and then in North America. Uh, you know, looks very skilled, looks very intelligent, competes well enough. The reason he went in the middle of the draft is he's a smaller winger who's not a great skater. And then he has this absolutely outstanding rookie season in the NHL. One that completely reasonably warranted Calder votes. And the question is, is did he take this massive jump in development? Was it he just got opportunity as a highly skilled player on a, on a you know, a, frankly, a weaker offensive team? Is this a top six forward? Is this a middle six forward? Is this a premium player now? I really struggled with where to rate Michelli. It is a tough one because his production at his age would suggest he maybe deserves to be a half tier higher than where you have him as that middle of the lineup player. You don't see many 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds, I suppose, uh, putting up 50-point seasons. But you, you make the point about the opportunity. 
Uh, and when you look at who will eventually be ahead of him, I don't know that I see him passing Genther or Boot, and I don't think they're they're done adding, and they you know they're going to keep a couple of players from the team they have now. I'm sure too. He probably does end up right in that middle six, probably like a really good third line winger. Yeah, like I, it's it's funny. Like I I mapped out their depth chart to kind of look at this. You know, obviously Keller's there for the long term now, yep. and then you have Boot, and then you have Genther. We'll see whether they keep Nick Schmaltz or not over the long term. But it's to the earlier argument I've made. You know, it's just so hard not only to make the NHL but to have success in the NHL because there's a lot of other really good players in the league too. And the the team you have when you're losing is not always the team you look like when you're winning. Right. And when 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 better athletes join the lineup. One player that I, I wonder if Coyotes fans are starting to get impatient with is, is Victor Soderstrom, who was the 11th overall pick in 2019. You've got him down a couple of tiers from from where that would have been in the projected to play NHL games tier. Are you are you losing hope there? Yeah, I I mean I think he's a good player, but he is a guy who is offensively driven. He is a skilled, intelligent puck mover, and the offense the American League has been just fine. He's a good skater, he's not an elite skater. He's not that big. He's not super physical. So it's like, what is his role exactly in NHL? Is he going to be on a power play in the NHL? Will he be trusted with even strength minutes in the NHL? He did get NHL games this season, but again, not a great team. Somebody's got to play those minutes. Will he be a top four defenseman when they're actually trying to win? I At this point, I'm not convinced he will be. Is, is the question that I guess for this system going forward, maybe the, the forward group's not totally complete, but probably the investment really needs to be made on D in the, the next draft or so? Right. I think you, obviously, you love Dmitry Seneshev. J.J. Moser's progressed as well as you could have hoped. but they pro- And I do think Maverick Lamoureux has the potential maybe to be a Jamie Oleksiak type of player, but they do need to add one or two more ideally you know, really good young defense talent as they continue to rebuild over the next couple of years. Yeah. You might be able to say the same for, for the team you have at number 11. That's the Philadelphia Flyers. Obviously, the, the, the headline here is Matvey Michkov, and they, they did get Oliver Bonk in this draft as well. Um but really, let, let's start with Mitch Cobb, because I don't even know how, how we can start anywhere else with this team. Yeah, and I think even, you know, people always love talking about Mitch Cobb. I mean, his even his preseason in the KHL right now has generated buzz yeah. as he's as as Ska has announced, well, we're gonna try him at center now and and see how it goes this season. And obviously it's just been preseason, but he's looked promising and showing the skill and the creativity and the hockey sense that have made him such a good score for such a long time. And um, and, and I'm sure Mitchkov and the decisions that were made in front of him and the Flyers' decision will be debated for years to come because you have to wait, a, you know, three more full seasons of him not being in the NHL. Uh, but you know, everyone knows that I I love the player. I think he's an outstanding offensive talent. He's not a perfect player by any means. There are holes in his game, but I think the the skill and the hockey sense are so elite. Uh, that he will be a really important player for the Flyers when he does eventually come over. Their other recent really high pick is Cutter Gauthier. And, and I noticed that you had Gauthier's position here listed as a winger. In this draft year, there was a lot of hope that this is a guy who can project to play center. Um, sure. But this was always a possibility that longer term, his profile was going to be more on the wing. And then that position listing is not official by any means. It's just I, he has a position you have to list it, but he could be a center. I mean, I, he did play center with Boston College this season. And uh, I, I'd say historically he's had more success on the wing than at center, but he still was good in Boston College this season, or maybe not as quite as good as he was with when he played for Team USA on, on the wing. 
uh, particularly his world championships. I thought he was so good. That was some of the best hockey I've seen yeah. him play. And I think, you know, this is a guy who has all the tools to be a top line forward in the NHL. Will he for sure be a top line center? I don't know. I think if he is a center in the NHL, it might be like a really good 2C on a contender. Um, but he could be a 1-2. I don't think it's unreasonable. Yeah. Um, one of the things with Mitchkov and, and the, the timeline that, that it's going to take for him to get here is this Flyers team does still need quite a bit more. They are still in the in the early phase. And while they have some good depth with their prospects, you talk about Cam York, Bonk, Tyson Forrester, uh, there's going to be more to come here. Uh, and, and you would hope that some of it's coming on D and, of course, at center. Yeah, this, even though it's still a highly ranked system, it's not the deepest system in the world. And I think the time, they are, they are, they really are tearing it down now and trying to rebuild. Obviously, he, he's a graduate. We didn't mention, you know, guys like Owen Tippett, yep. uh, for example. But you're really hoping by by the time Mitchkov is ready to come over, that you will have accumulated a lot more young assets and that you are ready as an organization, maybe not to be winning, but to start the transition towards winning more games i think 17 total prospects kind of ranked here for you in, in some kind of tier is there anybody that you're watching in in 2023-24 thinking that they could be a riser i well there's a couple of ones that are more interesting to me i mean i think ethan sampson is a guy who as a late pick has progressed really well in junior and you know he's a big def- you know not big but a decent sized defenseman and moves the puck really well and i think there's some intriguing elements in his game uh, as a high second round pick, you know, Bobby Brink is someone I want to see if he takes a step or not. Um, his skating at his size has always really concerned me and it's concerned me when watching him in the pros, quite frankly. Um, so we'll see how his development goes. Same thing as Emil Andre has looked really promising at times outside the NHL because of his skill, his competitiveness, but he's not the biggest defenseman. He's not an elite skater. So will he get it done in the NHL? We'll see how his next season goes. All right, we are into the top 10 now with Minnesota, and the Wild are really interesting. I mean, first of all, they have one of the hardest things to find, which is a top-tier goalie prospect from Jesper Wallstedt. They have Matt Boldy, who's one of the very best young players in the NHL today. But ranked right in between those two, you've got it Boldy 1, Wallstedt 3 for them. You've got Marco Rossi, who you still have as a bubble top and middle of the lineup player here. One of the most interesting prospects and young players in the NHL for me because we all know what what he battled through uh, kind of post-COVID. Uh, and he's still trying to work his way in here, but you've still got him as a projected top six player here. Yeah, I still, I mean, Marco's a really good hockey player and had a very nice year in the American League after it didn't go so well for him in the NHL to start the season. He has got great skill, great vision. He competes hard. Like there's a, And he has a really good track record of scoring. There's a lot to like with Marco. I think with Marco, maybe the hype on him got a little bit out of control at times. In terms of thinking, you know, this is going to be a premier player, or legit, you know, number one center in the NHL. I'm not sure that was ever realistic, but I think he has a chance to be a legit top six four in the NHL. Um, I think with Marco, will be interesting is, you know, I think there is this need in Minnesota. We need centers. We need to draft centers. We need to develop centers. And I'm not 100% convinced Marco is going to be an NHL center. He could be, but is it the worst outcome in the world if he's a top six winger, given the, the skill no. and the competitiveness he provides, uh, you know, given that you do have still have Erickson Eck in the system, you do have still have Charlie Stramble, you have Marek Kuznadinov coming too. I think those are all good, really good players. Um, I don't think it's the end of the world if Marco does end up on the wing. 
Yeah, and a skilled, smart winger is something that you got a lot of time for there. I mean, we could, I don't know that he, I would rank him in the same quite level as Cole Perfetti, but I think that's a profile you could see with Cole Perfetti, even a, a guy with that uh, skill brain combo without maybe the skating or size element. Yeah, and I kind of have, I actually have them qu- quite close. I, I would probably lean Perfetti over, over Rossi, but I have those two players quite close for the same reasons. And it's, you know, there's, there's flaws there, but they still could add quite a bit of offense to your team. Uh, you mentioned Charlie Stramel. He, he's the first round pick from 2023 and, and obviously a guy who I think there's going to be opinions all over the map on coming into this year, had a chance to be a, a, a really high pick, uh, didn't have the best year at Wisconsin, but still a first rounder, mainly because there are very few players uh, really anywhere in hockey today who, who kind of have the Scott, the size skating meanness that Charlie Stramel has with a little bit of skill to go with it. Yeah, like I said, I don't think you're ever going to get a ton of offense out of Charlie, but I think there will be enough offense in his game to go with those things you mentioned that he'd be a very valuable player. My comparable for him going into the draft was Lawson Krause, and I think you don't love getting Lawson Krause at 11, where I, I think that was his draft slot when Florida took him, but if you can get Lawson Krause in the 20s, I think you're very happy, especially if Lawson Krause can play the middle. Yep. Uh, Danil Yurov was, was their, one of their first, one of their two first rounders in, in 2022. Uh, and, and one of the guys who I think was most interesting. That's, this was the year of the first year of kind of the, the Russian questions, uh, at least in this go around. Uh, how did you see Danila progress over the course of the year? And what makes him still a top five prospect for the wild for you? Uh, I mean, his development really didn't go great this past season, to be quite honest. He barely played with Magnitogorsk, who were a top KHL club last season. So, actually, I did lower his rating a little bit from where it was a year ago, just because there wasn't a ton of progression. But I don't think you want to hold it against him too much, given the unique circumstances that he had to deal with, and that we didn't get to see him with the national team. It's, you know, it's, it's a tough evaluation without Russia being part of these major national tournaments, is when you would have these KHL players who are on these good KHL teams, not play a lot, you'd say, oh, but at least he did this at the World Juniors. So you see that where he's developed and where his talent rates compared to his age group. We didn't get that with Euro. So it makes him a very tough evaluation. I can see both people being positive or negative about him and it being quite reasonable. Um, I still think with the skating, the skill, and the work ethic, he's got enough there to be a, a second uh, line wing in the NHL. Maybe it's a third line wing. We'll see with time. But I do think he's a good player. And how about Brock Faber? Obviously, the one of the key pieces coming back in the Kevin Fiala trade and a guy who uh, has now gotten his feet wet in the NHL. But what do you see from Brock Faber? And he looked quite good in the NHL. And like, obviously, he didn't play big minutes, but I thought he looked like he belonged. And I think this is a guy who's going to be a top four defenseman for a while. I think, you know, just he's such a good skater. He competes really hard. Uh, the hockey sense is good enough. With, you know, not any elite puck move, but it's good enough. You know, I think he's a good player. And finally, on the wild, one player I want to call out. Uh, was Caden Bankier, a guy who was a third-round pick a couple of years ago. Um, offense in the WHL throughout his career was never amazing, but I think it was good enough, especially this past season, when, when you combine the fact that he is you know, quite a big center, you know, 6'2", he skates well, he competes well, uh, made Canada's World Junior team. You know, this is a guy who I think is trending in a very good direction.
Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, our last team of the day is at number nine for you, and that is the Seattle Kraken. And of course, it's going to help when your very first pick as a franchise, Maddie Beniers, uh, turns into your, uh, in your tier, the bubble elite NHL player and NHL all-star. This is what uh, you dream of building around as an NHL team, a young top center, and, and the Kraken certainly uh, look like they have one in Maddie Beniers. I think even Beniers' biggest advocates in the league probably wouldn't have seen the offense that he produced so quickly two years after his draft. Everybody knew that, okay, this guy is a good skater. He's got good size. He competes really hard. He has skill. But the question of him in his draft year was, I don't know if the offense is ever going to come. And it, and But this year he did show it. I mean, he's running a power play. He's making like really crafty plays with a puck on a consistent basis. And I think he still needs to prove whether he's going to need to back that up next season so he can do it again. But I mean, all indicators with Beniers now are extremely positive. And this, like you said, this looks like that kind of foundational number one center you can build a winner around. Yeah. And their next pick, their next first round pick uh, one year later was Shane Wright, who uh, I think if you had told people right after they got Maddie Beniers, they were going to get Shane Wright the next year. They would have lost their minds. Uh, obviously, things have changed a little bit for Shane Wright, but you still have him ranked very highly. What do you see as the projection here? Yeah, I mean, he had a strange year, a lot of bouncing around, a good play in some stretches, not so good play in other stretches of the season. Uh, I mean, Shane is what we've discussed about for, for well over a year now in discussing uh, Shane Wright in that I think there's a lot of positive traits in his game. He skates well. He has good offensive skill. He's smart. He can shoot the puck well. He works hard. I don't know if he has like that elite offensive game in him. I don't know if he has that ability to take over a game. But I think if he's your second line center, which he will be in Seattle, I think, I think he could have a lot of success in that role. Just like with Team Canada, when he wasn't the go-to guy, Connor Bedard was, Shane yep. was able to have success in that role. When Seattle kind of launched, I think one of the striking contrasts from what Vegas had done to what they did was they weren't able to just make as many picks early as a franchise as, as Vegas had done. Obviously, teams had more time to prepare for that expansion draft. They learned some lessons. In 2023, I think Seattle finally got to have really a, a haul of players from the first three rounds come in. They're not picking quite as high, but you come away with Edward Shala. You come away with Lucas Dragasevich, Oscar Fisker, Molgard, Carson Rakoff. Caden Price, all these guys picked in the top 85. And that, I think, really boosts the depth of this group. Yep. I mean, that I really like that draft for them. It you know wasn't as impactful as, say, drafting Ryder, but Beniers, but it added a lot of depth to the organization. And this was also an organization that saw their American League team 
go to the go to the Calder Cup finals. And that was in the part. Uh, you know, there's there's two young players I would I would call up. One was a free agent signing, uh, Ty Karchi, who was really good in the American League last year. Actually played playoff games in the NHL with Seattle this past year. Was even on the power play during those playoff games. You know, that's quite the jump for a guy who wasn't even on an NHL depth chart a, a year ago. And then you have the play of Riker Evans, who was one of the better defensemen in the American League last season. A really good skater. He competes well. He's not that big. Um, but, you know, like I said, I think his physicality will give him a real chance to play in the NHL. And the fact that he is, like I said, not elite offense, but it's good offense. And this is a guy who looks like he has a, a really strong chance to play in the league for them next season. One thing I like about what Seattle's done here is they've, they've got these two centers up top, of course, but some of their top wingers too are, are bigger wings with offense, right? You're not all relying on the small skill winger here. When you talk about uh, Edward Shala, who it, I wouldn't call him like a hard winger per se, sure. but he does have some size to him. Yanni Neiman's got some size to him and some offense and Carson Raycop's got some size to him on the wing too there. I think it makes it a little easier because I think you will have an easier time finding the smaller winger players. And if you can get the big guys in early through the draft, it's going to help you. Yeah, and I've really liked the progression of Yanni Neiman as well. I think he's a guy who looked quite good in Finland last year versus pros. Yep. And he was good at the, at the summer showcase recently too. Big shot and a big body. No surprise there. Anyone else on Seattle you want to highlight before we uh, wrap this one up? Uh, I, I think that's pretty much it. I think ideally they like to add a little bit more on, on the blue line. Obviously, I mentioned Evans. Dragosevic is a good player. Uh, Ty Nelson had a really nice year in the o, in the O, but he's you know he skates really well. He competes well. He's he had like he showed offense, but he's such a small defenseman. I think he's gonna there's gonna be doubts on whether he'll make it until he actually makes it. But I think that's ideally in the next draft or two they would add some more defensive depth. All right, that's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. We will be back with more of Corey's Pipeline Rankings tomorrow, wrapping up with the top eight. You can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. And right now you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Talk to you soon.